Welcome to another inspirational message from London Life Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. But this is my brother-in-law as Pastor Benga. I'll let me introduce himself to Good afternoon, to everybody. God bless you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, always a privilege. Um, we're talking about getting this one thing right first. Um... Before we go into it, and before we introduce you, let's just read a scripture. That's all right. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. Um, thank you. Um, I'm going to take you through it, and then I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. Let's do it that way around. Let's pray first, actually. What am I doing? Father, we are asking for... Um, I don't know if I'm asking, Lord, because you already, you've already done it. So sometimes I'm asking for things you've already done. So I'm just going to say thank you for the message you're bringing. However you want to bring it through, whoever you want to bring it through. Um, we appreciate what you've already done in advance. Amen. Amen. Changing my prayer language. It's a journey. It's a journey. Um, let's read Proverbs 16. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from God comes, wow, okay, yeah, but from God, from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue, introduction. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So this is already establishing that we think we know what we're doing in the name of God, but then God has a version or a view. This is interesting, right? Commit, the, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will then establish your plans. We're going to get into it. Today's uh, discussion, stroke interview, um, stroke troublemaking. This is what we do. Uh, we, we kind of, <laughs> we have, oh, wow. Our views on the Christian walk ha have evolved over time. So the way that I used to think, I remember when I first met, uh, not first met him, but actually when you became a pastor, and some of uh, Benga's views as a, as a man, as a minister, I was just like, no way, no way. And now I'm thinking more like him. I don't know what he thinks of me. But now I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, but I want you to know that there were some ways that I had, bro, that were, I look back and I'm just sad as to how I used to think as a Christian. Okay, I'm coming out still. But some of you, may, where you see I am, you may go, oh man, is he really a Christian? Of course. Um, but we might touch on some of that in a little bit. But before we get into this, yes, tell us who you are. I'm going to poke you some questions yes, and we'll get into it. Yes, sir. Once again, church, good evening to you. How are we all doing? God bless you so much. Um, my name is Benga Ajawale. Everyone calls me Pastor GOPG. Uh, I'm here with my wonderful wife and kids. Apparently, we could bring dogs to this church. I didn't know. I would have brought my, my, my dog in here today. Can you guys hear me? That's better. Thank you so much. I was saying, I didn't know that I was told that you can bring dogs to this church, that this was a cool church. I would have brought a dog in today. Uh, but I am truly blessed. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for about 13 years. Um, uh, amen. I pastor a ministry called The Wave, formerly the, the Rock Church London. 
Um, and even now, we are evolving um, because everything has changed. You mentioned, Curtis, that even your sort of theology, your thinking has changed. For me as a pastor, as a man, things have changed uh, because everything is about Jesus now and connecting as many people to Jesus as possible. See, all the rest of the stuff that don't matter, all right? I'm a, I'm a Bible scholar. I've read the Bible many times. I've been to Israel many times. I've been with rabbis and bishops. Um, so it's not a case of uh, undercutting my theology. It's having a better theology, which is that Jesus is everything. And we have to do everything possible to connect as many people to Jesus, all right? Get, get rid of all the walls and all the barriers and let people love God and be loved by God. That's what it is. That's what it's about. And I also believe that revival is coming when the, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And we're going to see something that we've never seen before. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're expecting. That's what God promises in Joel chapter 2. And we're believing that we're the generation that's going to see that. Amen. Amen. Man, that's troublemaking. Uh, we got into it. It'd be, it's good trouble. It'd be, it'd be problems, you know. Amen. So the title today is yeah. Get This Thing Right, right. First. Did I say that right? Get this one thing right first. And I'm saying that in the light of where I'm coming from. I guess maybe you as well. You don't know the questions I'm going to ask you really, which is how we do it. Um, um, my Christianity was born out of this is what you have to do to get to God. Interestingly, even for the progressive Christians who are rethinking and uh, evolving st are still there. There is always, and Winnie and I were talking about it on the way up, there's a default position that we fall into where we feel that we need to do something in order to be right with God. But this goes deeper, guys, because we're not only going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at, the, this is it, the, the overarching topic that we want to conclude on is how to put God first. And I'm going to introduce it by letting you know of an experience I had last night. It was, uh, and I spoke to the person. So what I'm about to tell you, you won't know who they are. Um, but it's actually quite a common situation. They said, yeah, you can talk about it freely, but just don't say my name. So I won't. And so I met with someone last night, um, online counseling. And their marriage didn't last very long. Why not? Because the husband has put his devotion to God above the marriage. Now, it's like, oh, gosh. Well, actually, for many people at my age, this is normal, okay? It didn't happen in my house, but it's normal, right? Um, for me, it's very, it's very scary. And now they are preparing to divorce, yeah? Um... Because he believes that his spirituality and his spiritual walk and the work that he does in the church, his family needs to fit in to this. So we're looking at how we can put God first and what it really means. Um, go for, as you raised your mic. Go I'll, for it. <laughs> I'll just shift in position. Okay. Well. And... and I want to ask you, like, do you recognize that yourself? Oh, very much so. Uh, first of all, uh, a big shout out to my wife. It was a 14-year wedding anniversary yesterday. So, 
she stayed and she keeps staying and she has no choice but to stay. Um, but I very much see that. Um, I went into ministry. I got saved at the age of 20, 20, 21, 22, 21, 22. Born in church, bro? I was born in church, but my life was very colorful. Ridiculously colorful. And I told my wife, I mean, I've shared it literally all around the world before, but um, I'm not going to share it too much because we've got to make a movie and I've got to write books and people got to buy it. So I'm not going to give it away today. But my life was very colorful, but I was saved by the awesome grace of Jesus. Um, but one thing I do tell you is I've been literally the f- within the first year of marriage, I went into full-time ministry as a pastor. I was already in ministry before I was preaching on the circuit, sort of doing conferences and, uh, and retreats and things of that nature and preaching to churches. But I felt that, that my family had to fall in line with what God was asking me to do in the church. And literally, I think that was dangerous. Uh, in hindsight, it's dangerous. At that time, you have this sort of religious mindset that, and as progressive as, we, as I thought I was as a preacher, as a Christian, um, there was still that thing of, well, I'm doing this for the Lord. You know, literally, you rush into church, uh, and, you know, we would catch up in arguments in the way because I got to get to church. When the kids, and you got the first one in and the last one out, you know. And let me tell you something. God doesn't need all that, man. I've been pastoring for a while now. I've met a lot of pastors who've lost their families. Because I don't believe that God wants you to work hard in the church and then your family's broken. And that's part of the thing we're going to talk about today because I believe that God pushes situations to be a good steward. See, a lot of what we do in church nowadays is man-made. All right, I've studied this. I've been with some of the greatest theologians and teachers. Um, most of you guys, if you go to Bible college, like real Bible college, you might not want to be a Christian afterwards. Because when you learn about church history and how certain rules were made and how certain things that we're still doing now, um, and it's been passed down, it's tradition. And that's why a lot of people don't want your Jesus. You know, we get excited that, you know, people are coming to Christ, which is beautiful. You know, I'm an evangelist in a heart. But for every one person that comes to Christ, you no know, four people are leaving. So that's the that's, back that's door is wide open. That's the stats, right? That's the stats right there. And that was the stats that were shared amongst pastors, not publicly shared, but I'm sharing with you right now. So we get excited, and it's beautiful when people get saved and people get baptized. But let me tell you something, man. Um, people are leaving. In fact, we are, uh, my wife, we're going to throw something at me. Um, but we, we've, got, we've got a beautiful church building that we prayed about. We raised a lot of money to get. Um, but we're about to give it up right now because it's no longer missional. Because one thing I realize is when God gives you sometimes what you want, you stop pursuing him the way you ought to. Um, and that's part of it. Rushing to church. When we are actually the church, when your family is the church, you can speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. I'm Pentecostal. You can speak in tongues and you can cast out demons, but if you can't serve your family in your home. I remember one time we was in a cinema. We used to be in a cinema in Canary Wharf uh, for church, and, uh, which a lot of Christians didn't like, actually. It was too, it was evil. Um, but we, a young lady came up to me and said to me, 
she fell in love with Jesus because she saw me do one thing. Uh, our second child at that time was very young. I think it was maybe about three or so. And he, in the middle of the sermon, he came up, ran up to the pulpit. And I stopped mid-sermon and picked him up and hugged him, gave him a kiss and let him go. In our church denominationism, you don't do that. That's unholy. To kiss your own child mid-sermon. Because so, so, there's something about it. God hates that. Where do we get his rules from? Oh, by the way, I grew up in a white garment church. You guys know that, those kind of churches, the African churches? Where people wear the white garments? You have to explain, man. Oh, it's very ritualistic church. You go to church seven days a week, literally. If you spoke during service, you get a whip in your face. It was real deep, man. It was those kind of churches. Those kind of churches where you grew up and people hated God afterwards. This is what church has done. And families, you know, I always say to my wife that what I don't want is this, that we're preaching Jesus, but we're not living Jesus. We're preaching Jesus so much that our kids hate God. Because no, every you, day we're in church. You've you got to break that down. What, huh? do you, what do you mean? Why would you because hate God you're if you're church. preaching God? Like, for example, you're looking after other people's kids in church, but your kids are neglected. Literally, I used to work crazy hours. I spoke to my PA just before the pandemic. I'm like, we can't keep working like this. Why are we? We're not, we're not mega church. Why do we keep doing this? We were working seven days. We had a big office where we were doing everything. Literally, I would leave on eight o'clock. I'm the boss, I'm not, but I would run to get to church for nine o'clock. I'd have to clock in just in case someone needed me. And I'll be getting on at nine o'clock at night because I'll stay in the office and then wait for people to leave work so I can, I can take Bible study, discipleship classes, baptism classes. My kids won't see me. And in the weekend, you spend preparing sermons for Sundays. And sometimes I used to preach on Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, and then Sunday evenings in other churches. And then your, your children will hate God. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. And other people tell you otherwise, but I believe a lot of times we sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry. All right? My wife, she's a psychotherapist. Some of the people that she sees right now in therapy are people who were brought up in church or pastors' kids who hate God. How did we get to that point where people hate God? Because they were surrounded by religion. And I guess what we've got to do, we have to differentiate between religion and Jesus. Can I cut you now? Please, sir. Let me, let me, let me, let me I was reading a study uh, entitled, and it's a study conducted by uh, uh, it's a Jewish study. I love um, so it includes a Talmud, mm. things outside of scripture. Mm. And the title of the study was this, what happened to Moses' sons? Mm. Moses, Moses' sons. What happened to Moses' sons? Mm. Um, and, I, and I knew uh, he has two sons, right? Moses, the Moses that we know in scripture. And he's highly regarded by um, the Jewish faith. I found out that they were not really a part of the Exodus. Okay, that's fine. Moses thought, maybe he thought, listen, we're going to do something. I don't want you to be involved. Can you go over there? So he sent them far away to what we might call now Saudi Arabia, right? Uh, they're out of the picture. God knows how long that took. But his wife was like, okay, well, you know what? You're doing God's work. Therefore, I'll listen to what you're saying. Sent the, kid, uh, the two boys away. He's now running a nation. He's doing God's work. 
So much so, some of us might know, that his father-in-law had to come up to him and say, listen, what are you doing? You're doing too much. This is Moses. He's known as, in scripture, a man of God. This is scary. I think when you look at Moses and Aaron, I think you're going to touch on Eli as well. Uh, there were men in scripture who were highly regarded for what they did for the future, but they were terrible parents. This is scary. This caused me to pause and think. So, interestingly, God makes a promise to Moses. He says, you and your, 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 your lineage will be uh, blessed in the future by, with many children, right? But that didn't happen for Moses' children. So when his boys came back, did you know that Moses has spent more time with other children, Aaron's sons, more than his own? He didn't teach his children anything about God, really. And this is interesting. So his sons really weren't a part of the experience. And they didn't have a man. So they're hardly mentioned in scripture. It's actually Aaron's lineage. That's where the blessing fell. Has this happened before? Has it happened before? You, was gonna, you, you mentioned Eli yeah, to me earlier. Yeah, Eli. So most of you guys know Eli in the Bible was a mentor to Sir Samuel, the prophet Samuel. He was a high priest. He was a high, 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 high priest. Uh, and, you know, all kudos to, to Eli. He did a great work with, with Samuel to kind of stir something in him for God. Uh, but he messed up when it came to his own kids. And that's what we see all around in ministry. Um, that a lot of people, they take the focus of their own children. See, we have to be good stewards of everything that God places in our lives. See, good stewardship is actually putting God first. Was God, in Genesis chapter 2, um, uh, during creation, God took Adam and he placed him in a garden. And he told Adam, work the land. Be fruitful. Work the land. Take care of it. And I believe that is something that we can all learn from. That God puts us in situations or puts people in our lives that we need to bring fruits out of that. See, the way we glorify God, you know, and I tell a lot of guys in the Pentecostal movement that it's not by dancing up and down and singing in church. It's, it's, it's really not. It, it, you might feel the euphoria in the moment. See, that's why we have to differentiate between the presence of the Holy Spirit and emotionalism. All right? Let's not get caught up. It's nice. It's, it's, you know, I asked someone the other day, I was church, because they went back to church. I went, I said, I was church. They said it was fun. We've, we've missed the point, right? When you speak to Jewish people, like the, it was a place to minister to the Lord, to send a fragrance to the Lord. That means that whatever you do, you must be pleasing to the Father. But when we start saying that it was fun, what we mean was that the music was lit and things were, I met my friends and the food was good and I danced. I haven't danced for a year and a half because of COVID. I danced and it was great. That's not necessarily putting God first. That's you maybe being a Christian now, you miss raving, but you can, you can do it now in a sanctuary. This ain't my church, I can start trouble and leave. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you know? But we're all kingdom, right? So we're good. And I think this church is, I've been here a few times. You guys are good people, man. We were just saying that you remind us of a church in Tel Aviv. We went to Tel Aviv. Very sort of cosmopolitan, very cool, very chilled. It was beautiful, man. And it was so nice to see you guys worshiping today. It was beautiful. Can you clap for yourself for that? You guys were worshipping. 
just, there was just, it was free expression. Some of us were shouting, some of us were standing, some of us were seated, and it was all holy and beautiful. In some churches, if someone shouts, you get in trouble. If no one shouts, you get in trouble. But we have to learn this lessons from Eli because Eli missed the mark. Eli didn't steward his own children. But, but if he's looking after God's work, yeah. why are you saying that as if he did something wrong? It's because how do you balance that off? Like you've got to do what you believe yeah. God has called you to do. Yeah. And, and I'm listening to you and you're saying, we're all saying the same thing, yeah. but you're saying, you're saying, uh, yeah, but family first. Yeah. Ask me 10 years ago, I was young. I would say that too, man, but I've learned. Also, what you learn is that in the Western Christianity, we have a consumer mentality. So what that means is that doing God's work is not really doing God's work sometimes. It's just pleasing the people. People are sucking out of you. So you feel like you've got to give them more. And we say that that's God's work. Not necessarily, man. Doing God's work means there's going to be fruits. There's got to be fruit. The Bible says, by the fruits, you should know them. So if there's no fruits, that means all we're doing. See, in ministry, it's either we have a, a, um, a kindergarten or a school. In a kindergarten, what do you do in a kindergarten? You just play and look after it. My three-year-old just like just what you guys would call kindergarten. I'm not expecting him to get a star. I'm not looking at the results. It's just to get him out of the house for us. Okay? Is there to be looked after, keep him out of the house, we pick him up? What did he do today? I played with Miss Rebecca and it was wonderful. Oh, wonderful. But when you go to school, see, I, I started school in Nigeria. I was in Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria. And I went to school in Nigeria. I left Nigeria when I was nine years old. I can't remember what school year that was. I left at nine years old. There was a guy in my class who was 16. And on my last day leaving Nigeria in school, it was being publicly whipped in school, so I can guess he had to still stay there. So he's going to be 17 and be in the same class as nine-year-olds. There was no progression. That was many years ago. I wonder if he's still there now. What I'm saying to you is in a school, you expect it to grow and have fruits. Even Paul says it. By now, like you still on milk. You should be on solid food. So in the Western Christianity, I mean, you guys should go to China or Afghanistan or, or Iraq or Northern Nigeria and see how people worship Jesus. It's literally life or death. Literally, I got an email the other day that was some Afghanistan Christians who were martyred. And they were like Stephen in the Bible and they took it with a smile because they know they're about to meet a savior. But in, as I said, I've been doing this for 13 years now. I've been doing it for 13 years. And we have a consumer mentality, which is this. Give me more of you, not more of Jesus. So we as leaders, we give, us, we give more of ourselves to people. But ultimately, we're meant to give ourselves to God. Even as a priest, if we go back to the Jewish roots of Christianity, we realize that the pastors were actually priests. Our job is to bring glory to him. What we're doing now is we are babysitting Christians. And we call it doing the Lord's work. And that's why we get burnt out. That's why pastors have a high suicide rate, a high divorce rate. That's why they lose their mind. And that's why more pastors in the past four years have left the pulpit than any other time in history. Sorry. That's what we do. 
It's what we do. And then that begs the question then, what does it look like to put God first? Okay, actually, you, you look like you want to stand. You want me to hold your back? I'm normally used to standing, but I'll sit, man. I'm, you know, I'm good, man. Um, in Scripture, Jesus was asked in the book of Matthew and it was in Luke as well. What is the greatest commandment? Sorry, can you hear me now? What is the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And to also love, the second is like this, to love your neighbor as thyself. In all of this, all the laws and all the prophets are, are upheld. We put God first by looking at what he gives to us and seeing value in it. One of the things that shocks me in the world we're living in right now is we don't even see value in life. We don't see value in life. We don't see value in other people. Um, we don't see other people as God's creation. We use and abuse each other, and that's what we do. Let me get what I can get from you. Um, You're talking about church folk now. I'm talking about church. Oh, yeah, oh, no. I'm, oh, the world is the, no, I'm talking about church folks, because we've got to get it right first before the world gets it right. Um, the way we even, even Christians talk to the people in Starbucks, or the lady at reception, or someone at customer service. Some of us, we're only Christians on Saturdays and Sundays. And the way we talk to other people and how we address the world shows that we don't put God first because we don't see God in other people. We don't see God in nature. One of our sons, he loves the climate. He's, a, he's an animal lover. He, and he's teaching me a few, things, a few things about how God works. Because when we talk about climate change, the church don't care about that. We should be the ones that care about it because it's God's earth. He put Adam there to, to look after the world. He said, steward this. I'm coming back for this. And if you look at Matthew chapter 25, we, we see the story of the talents. The master always comes back. And sometimes we live as people that the master is no longer coming back. So to put God first means that we have a, fear, a healthy fear of God that he's coming back to get a returning investment on what he put under our stewardship. That's other people. Our bodies, our health, our minds, the what, church, what, what, what our do you children. Mean, what do you mean by stewardship? Yes, just, just define it in case everyone, anyone doesn't know what stewardship okay, means. Okay, stewardship is taking care of what's been put into your possession in sort of layman terms. If I give you something um, and, you know, I'm expecting to look after it, um, that you don't own it. It looks like you own it, but you don't own it. You work for, to get it, but you don't own it because God gave us the breath to get what we get anyway. That's why my brother was talking about tithing earlier. See, tithing is such a dangerous issue. Uh, we had an old group of people leave our church because they watched a YouTube video that tithing is no longer required. See, I always tell people, God never changes his mind. You see, when God does things, it doesn't go back on what it did. It just comes with something better. That's why Jesus was always a, is a better revelation. You guys understand that? It's a better revelation. Um... Uh, the wages of sin is death, so that's why Jesus died in our place. God didn't say, okay, there's no more sacrifice, but Jesus just became a sacrifice. So what I'm trying to say in that is this. When people say time is no longer required, I'll say, well done. You've got something there. Rather than 10%, now you give more. Because a 10% is the base. That's law. Grace says, then it's more. To whom much is given, much is required. That's what the Bible says. 
And I think sometimes we, we misquote and misuse the Bible to get out of stuff. But to put God first, that's, if, you look, if you read the book of Malachi, chapter 3, it says, test, that's the only part in the Bible where God says, test me on this. And this is what God is saying, is put me first. If you put me first, not just in your, in your finances, but in your time, give me the first hour of your day. Tithe your day. Give me the first hour. Give me, give me your business. Give it to me. Your relationship, give it to me. Seek my will first. Before I hook up with that man, does God want me to be with him? Is he going to pull me away from God? Oh, it's fine, but he's going to pull me away from God. And you've seen so many people, they get in a relationship. Before, before the relationship, they love Jesus. But after the relationship, it's like, nah. So putting God first means that every area of our lives comes under his custody. We're just mere stewards. So I want to ask you a contrasting question. Yes, sir. Looking back on how you used to think. Yes, sir. Um, highlight a couple of things that you recognize you had wrong. If it was wrong. If it was wrong. Compared to now, this is how, now, this is how you put God first. Because obviously before, you were pushing for church, the people. Mm -hmm. what, what was you thinking then and... What is it that you're doing different now? I guess, bless you. Uh, I guess for me, um, we were trying to grow a big church. We were on a trajectory. I don't know if, I mean, my in-laws are here. We were, they used to call us the Black Ilsung. Um, we had like a full band. We were in a big cinema. We were in a fondress seat to cinema screen. We were, we were flying. Like, I'll be having... We all been dinner meetings with people like Stephen Furtick and, and, and uh, Brian Houston. And we, we thought we were, we were there. We were trying to build a big church. I remember one time my wife asked me, in the midst of our growth, what if God doesn't want you to build a big church? I'm like, how dare you? That's blasphemy. Yeah. You know, God's only going to be happy with me if we build this big, growing church. And now we're getting ready to give up the church to move on to a movement, a global movement. And... So that's how I used to think then. It was sacrifice everything to grow a big church. Now I believe more in the, in the house movements. And we have an orphanage in India um, that every month we're feeding about 60 orphans. That for me, that's God, man. That's, that for me is ministry. That why, for me is ministry. Why, why is that different? Why is the, what, what is the difference between that and what you were doing before? Because all that, we, 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 it, was, it was competition. We, we were taught as pastors to be in competition. And Instagram doesn't help. Sometimes we fall into depression. You preach a great sermon in the morning. Like, it's good. People getting saved and things are happening. You come home and then you tune into the American channels because they're five hours behind you. And then you see them, their, their band and you see their worship band and you see all their lights. And like, you have to call everybody, team, we need a meeting on Monday. We're messing up. This ain't good enough. Man-made. And that was the competition. That, that, that was church. And if you don't do those things, you don't, like, you don't get invited to certain things. We thought, because we thought that was it. So that wasn't, well, in hindsight, that wasn't, and that's why we look at right now. It's everything's crumbling. I said to a few pastor friends of mine at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, I believe this pandemic is a wake-up call for the church. And I read a book, it's a business book, it's called um, uh, Our Iceberg is Melting. 
I don't know if anyone ever read that. Basically, it was a bunch of penguins. Penguins live on icebergs, right? And that was melting. And I cannot contrast it with the church. What are we going to do now that our, our iceberg is melting? What we're built upon is melting. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. And what we're seeing right now is the Western church is crumbling. Given over eight years, it's gone. God is not pleased with it. You know, I look at someone like Francis Chan. He built a big mega church. And he had to walk away from it because he had the revelation that this, isn't, this is not right. Because all we are, we, we're just in competition with each other. Dressing up, saying that Jesus is in the building. Jesus is not in the building. Jesus left the building. This is what we call um, Echabod in the Bible. It's almost like the story of Eli. The glory has left. The glory is left. And what we're doing right now, we have to do more marketing. As pastors, we have to wear skinny jeans as pastors to get people into the door. What, are you saying you were taught to do that? What are you saying? Well, or are you saying that's the trend? That was the culture. That was the culture. It was more about what you wore on the stage. And when it, when it becomes a stage, we're in problem. It was an altar in the Bible. <laughs> it was an altar. So when it becomes a stage, then we have to be like Beyonce and do what Beyonce does. And we have to, we have to shake it. Spiritually. So, so ultimately, I think there's a, this is an interesting insight into the behind the scenes of... Uh, what it is to be a, a, a millennial pastor. Do you know what? I, I can't say this in my church because they all leave. So I, I feel so good. This is liberate. This is therapy. This is good for me. This is expose. But I guess it gives a great insight into one of the themes that I see is that we're serving men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that was something that I, I can relate to personally where you're like, I have to do God's will. And that is at the, and there's no price I'm not prepared to pay which is a scary thing. I want to move this on to something personal. Maybe outside of pastor, pastoring and leading. Um, what, what do I have to do? No, let me rephrase the question. The questions are here, but as we flow, I have to rephrase them, right? As a layman, I want to put God first. And in the back of my mind, like the person I spoke to last night, um, I have to do something. There has to be something that I do in my life that will please God and make him happy with me. An activity, a membership, church affiliation. Um, is that the right way to think? Am I off course? Is there something I have to do? Is there an activity um, you know, you tell me, what do you think I should be doing to get closer to God? I guess it's not really about what you ought to be doing. It's about what you ought to be being. It's being. So we are born again. It's we, 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 you know, we are to be fruitful. It's about being rather than doing. Uh, doing is, uh, is religious. Is the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Bible. They yeah, sure, knew the sure, law. Surely, hold on, surely. Yes, sir. I'm talking to an audience now. Yeah, right? yes, yes. <laughs> Let's be clear about this. Mm -hmm. I've got to get it out of my head mm -hmm. that there's nothing I can do. Mm. That's what you're really pointing to. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. That, that doesn't sound like, well, what is God going to do with me? There's nothing. There's, like, I don't know if you guys ever, if you ever brush your teeth. I, mean, I hope you do. Um, <laughs> but you brush your teeth and you think, wow, my teeth is white. It's beautiful. 
then you, then you put on shaving cream, white shaving cream, or you put on a white T-shirt, and you look in the mirror, and you realize that your teeth was not as white as you thought it was. Um, and that's like our righteousness. Everything that we work to do is always going to miss the mark. Paul says that we've, we've all missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, so it's never about what we can do. Jesus did everything. When he said on the cross, that means he did everything that needed to be done. We have to be in him. Those who are in Christ is a position, is a posture. Where we are, the ultimately is by intimacy with the Father. See, there's a lot, of, I've, got, I've got a lot of people around me that speak in tongues, cast out demons, um, do all this great and loud and wild things, but they have no intimacy with God. Um, it's all, everything is born out of intimacy. John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. That's what Jesus says. Without me, you can do nothing. And we have to understand that scripture. A lot of times we're trying to do things outside of Jesus. It's got to be abiding. And abiding means intimacy. In a relationship, it's intimacy that brings fruitfulness. And if you want to be fruitful, as Galatians chapter 5 speaks about in terms of being fruitful with the fruits of the spirit, we have to be intimate with Jesus. See, Christian, when people, when you, if I spot, if I, if I go outside the streets right now, I love this area, by the way, um, and you say church to some people in the streets, one of the first things they're going to think about is you're judging. Christianity was never meant to be a judgmental religion. It was meant to be a way of being intimate with God. And everybody out there, wherever sin they're doing, wherever lifestyle they're living in, they deserve to have intimacy with their creator. And it's high time the church stops being the barrier. We should be the ushers serving people into what God asks for them rather than be the barriers or the gatekeepers. Like when you go to a club, do you have your ticket? No, they don't have the ticket. None of us has the ticket because none of us deserve to be here. It's free before eternity. That's what it is. It's free for all. And they might, dress, they, they might have the right dress code. But let it, just let them come in. And before, I guess all of us were gatekeepers in every denomination. And that's how denomination starts, is what do we have as a priority that sets us apart? Rather than what makes us a, a conduit or a, a channel to bring people into faith. It's always what makes us different. Do you know that when the Zusa Street Revival, I don't know if you guys know about Zusa Street Revival, uh, in America, that happened um, in the early 1900s. Where that's how the Pentecostal movement um, uh, uh, started. Uh, God stopped it. You know why? Because men wanted to control it. There was racial divisions. The black pastors and the white pastors, they, they couldn't get on together. So then God stopped it. And the reason why we don't see a, a move of God right now is because man is too involved and stopping people from experiencing Jesus. And God says, you know what? You know the book of Malachi, God didn't speak for 400 years until we get to the book of Matthew. For 400 years, God kept quiet. If we're not careful, we, we might be in that season right now where we think God is speaking. But God's keeping quiet until our hearts has changed. And we pursue intimacy more than all the facade that we have. Okay. So you know you have to take a breath now, don't you? You can't give it like that. I mean, can we turn to, can we get scripture, James chapter 1? Um, and in this, I will read at any point if you want to con help conclude on some of the things that we're reading up on here. Um, guys, this is um, a very powerful directive 
of scripture um, so that it will help you understand when you are, like I said, with Juanita, we, the natural default position is to do, to make you feel better, right? And that is not how God works. And we have to recognize that in our heart. So he says, uh, let's we take it from verse, um, I know you've got it on the screen. I'm just, yeah, we've got it right. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, now listen, before I go into it, this is, please, absorb this as how you need to be. I'm trying to simplify my language so much. This is true religion, okay? Yeah. Right, let's check it out. And this is how you put God first. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's how you put God first. That's deep. Slow to become angry. That's how you put God first. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. That's how you put God first. So you've got to analyze yourself and say, look, that's not good for me. Let me put it away. Let me try. And, let me try. Let me struggle. At least struggle. You know, you may not put it away entirely, but it's a str- let's struggle. Uh, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly, is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we understand the words, just absorbing the word can save us. Next verse. Next verse, please. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Well, this is interesting because we can, I said this to me on the way up, it's just a coincidence. We can know that we are saved and we can know that this is religion but we, we, will, we haven't changed our attitudes and our mindset. Imagine reading something. You've won a million pounds. And you just refuse to go to your bank account. I know I ain't going to do that. I'll tell you that now, right? That's the first thing I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is do my fingerprint and go, hmm, you know. Uh, But when it's salvation, when God says, look, do not, do not just look at yourself in the mirror and say, it's uh, okay, there's a kiss on my face and just walk away. Like, you could turn this around. Let's next verse. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. There's another verse, please. And God speaks more and he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after the orphans, widows, and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. I don't know if I could add to that, but if I dare to add to that, I would say keep your, don't be polluted by other Christians. And I say that respectfully in that people can teach things that are not really conducive in the name of God. And I think one thing that stuck out last night was that we can easily be convinced that the path that I'm on to 
do the will of God is actually killing people. Um, and killing myself. Um, I want you to just speak briefly on this rearrangement of mindset. I thought that uh, I was looking all right. When I looked in the mirror, as far as I'm concerned, I was doing righteousness. But I'm stuck on works, really. I'm stuck on works. Can you help me with a word on how to help me undo so that I can really put God first? Um, that's, that's, that's very loaded and, and, and I think at the same time powerful. Um, just a few days ago in the Jewish culture, they, they just celebrated uh, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, uh, where it's all about doing. And some of the things that you might understand about Orthodox Jewish culture is that part of the way of cleansing is to get a chicken and pull it around you over here. Do you guys know that before? Yeah, you get a chicken and you do it over here a couple of times, then you slaughter the uh, chicken. It's to kind of replicate the sacrifice, which obviously I said, Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for us. And unless we have a mindset that is changed, Paul says that we have to be, uh, we, we, are, we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. There's no transformation until your mind is renewed. That's why when you enter a room, your, it's your head that goes in first. You know, this head has got to get changed. And, and unfortunately, we have people within the church or the church culture whose mind is still stuck in the gutters, uh, which means that they, they say they love Jesus and everybody should come to Christ and everybody, and Jesus loves us and Jesus is for me, but they don't live like that. Um, they still want to keep the rules. Um, I'm not saying God break laws because laws are there. You know, you, you don't do 50 in a 20 miles an hour zone. There's consequences. But what it is is that by being intimate with God, our minds change. Because we see spending time with the Father as our most precious commodity. So whether we are in a church building or in a home or in a hospital or in a prison cell, we know that we can experience, encounter, and bring the presence of God. One of the things that, one of the arguments, I don't know how it's been in the, in the SDA church, but in, in sort of the Pentecostal uh, uh, movement, there's been a, this almost kind of East Coast, West Coast um, when it comes to uh, the COVID-19. So we have some people that are trying to lobby for us to sign papers, both in America, to sign papers that the government should, they're persecuting the church by closing the church during COVID. I mean, I think Christians have misunderstood what persecution really means. That is not persecution. That's trying to keep you safe. We've had about eight people that we know personally that have died from COVID. Right now, I'm still interceding. There's a woman from our church right now. She's on life support machine from COVID right now, today. This is a real thing. That's not persecution. So we have to have this mindset change because people are like, no, if I don't go to the church, then I, I can't go to God. What about the people in China who are, who are underground? They can't go to church. In fact, the Chinese government, they're actually closing that right now, all the churches. Because they're, they're, they're trying to rein things in. They're trying to rein more things in. You know, so we have to, we have to shift our mindset we have to ask God for a new mind, first of all, because it's hard to get rid of it. Because, you know, as liberal as I think I am, there's still some stuff in me that I've been conditioned to, that I'm still needing to get rid of. And that's important. 
I remember the years where, and I think you guys came to see us, when we started doing baptism in a, in a nightclub. And the, the outrage from people was so unpleasant to us. But the fact is that we had to get to that mindset of saying, wherever you are as a child of God, God is there. Today we drove past some embassies in Kensington and stuff. Like it was like a day trip. This is like a day. We live in Kent, so this is like a day trip for our kids. This is London. This is Arids. This is you know. And we drove past some embassies, and we were, I was explaining to the kids about our embassies work. That an ambassador, someone that is represent the country in another land. So if I go into the Israeli embassy or the Ukrainian embassy, it's like I'm in Israel or I'm in Ukraine. So for us as believers, wherever we go, whether it's a prison, whether it's a nightclub, I mean, I don't encourage nightclub, especially during COVID, but wherever, you, in a restaurant, in a holiday, where, on a plane, you carry the essence of Jesus. There's been times I've been on plane rides where, where I've had to fight witches on, on the plane. Real talk, we'll come from Mexico. Remember Mexico? Literally, every, literally about 10 people on the plane started vomiting as this woman. She showed herself to me. And literally have to deal with it spiritually. Because why? You are a child of God. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. So we have to have this mindset change, man. We're all loved by God. Just stay true to who you are in Jesus. Be intimate with the Father. Pursue him ever so more. Like, just talk to him every morning. There's no right way to pray. Do you guys know that? I grew up in the church. If you pray for less than three hours, that prayer did not touch heaven. It did not touch heaven. No, like it was a very strict church. You prayed. I remember one time, like, there was about 30 people in this early morning prayer meeting I was dragged to. And then the pastor said, all 30 people had to pray. I'm thinking, not too bad. Hopefully he's going to pray for two minutes. I'm like, by an hour we should be out of it. But the first person would pray, pray for 20 minutes. And because it now became competitive, it was like Olympic sport. If he did 20 minutes, I'll go do 25. If he did 25, I'll go do 45. I've got to bring the glory down. And, and by six and a half hours, we finished praying. And I didn't go to church again for another two years. Of course. You can just say, God, I need you. You say with a sincere heart. And God loves that. Because you know why? Because Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father as your intercessor. So what he's doing right now is he's interceding for you. You put your faith in him and watch him do the work in your life. Man. Not in any acts. Not in any you acts. Do. No. Yeah. Um, we already know that, you know, parents who, partners of parents who put their job before their relationship destroy their families you can do that in a church too um, I think I like what you said and, I, and I'm trying to summarize what you're saying you're giving us a lot of gold quality nuggets um, it's between you and God first yeah thank you for that um, would you pray for us yes. Yes. amen can we just bow our heads please Heavenly Father, we just want to say we love you. We love you. 
more than anything else, we, we love you. Because we're so used to coming to you asking you for stuff, but we need to remind you that we love you. And we are only able to love you because you first loved us. We're sorry for everything that we might have done or fought or desired or engaged in that displeases you. Every single one of us in this room, from pastors to people who just walked off the streets, to addicts, to wherever, we are all in the same sinking ship. We are all in need of your grace. So, Father God, we, we posture ourselves with great humility. We, we posture ourselves like Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. And we say, we know nothing. We know nothing. We might have a theology degree. Or we might not even know Genesis. The difference between Genesis and Revelation. But we all need you. The world needs you. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what, it, what the lessons that we need to learn. But we know this. That in Second Chronicles 7.14, you said, if my people were called by my name, they should humble themselves. And they should pray and they should turn from the wicked ways that you will hear from heaven. You will forgive all of our sins. And you will heal the land. Not only do we need the land to be healed, we need our hearts to be healed. So we come to you with humility right now. Saying, Father, we need you. We, need, we don't need religion. Jesus didn't come to start a religious movement. He came to, to turn the hearts of the Father towards the sons. And the hearts of the sons back towards the Father. So, Father God, we hide ourselves in that posture. Bless your sons and daughters right now. Draw us into deeper intimacy. Let the ones who are carrying shame and guilt know that they are forgiven. Let the ones who are carrying sickness and disease know that they are healed. Let the ones who are navigating storms and troubled moments, let them know that you are the peace in the midst of the storm. You are Jehovah Shalom. We pray for more of you, more of your presence. What we need right now is more of you, Lord God, to have a deep personal encounter with you. Wherever it be in our bedrooms, in the church building, wherever it be on the way to work, Wherever it be in the shower, wherever it be at our desk, wherever it be in the train, we want a daily encounter with you. We don't want to do this life without you. So I pray, Father God, that you give us your peace, your presence, and your power. In all things, let us know that all things are possible because we believe in you. And I want to reiterate the praise that Jesus said to Peter. That I prayed for you. That your faith would not fail you. And after you've been restored, Peter, go and get your brothers. I pray right now, Jesus, for the faith of every man and every woman in this place. That we know for many of us over the past 18 months, our faith has take, taken a hit and a licking. We pray that you restore our faith. Give us that passion back. Give us that desire back, Lord God. And after we are restored, give us that, that John the Baptist spirit. To tell the world that Jesus is coming.
to tell the world that Jesus loves them. To tell the world that there is a savior. There is a God who loves to rescue lost people. So Father God, we thank you for still loving us and remaining faithful even when we are unfaithful to you. Bless us. Even in our struggle, show us a way out. Even in our pain, be the balm of Gilead and bring healing and bring soothing. We thank you, Jesus, because you're able to dry every tear and you're able to make all things new. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com. Thank you.